going to continue on. We've been walking through the book of First Peter. Just in the way of review, Peter was the first leader of the church. He was a, had been a disciple of Jesus. When the crucifixion took place, he ran. But when the resurrection happened, he realized something different has truly happened. So at the birth of the church, he was the one that stood up and took leadership. And over the next few years, was known for that leadership. Walked through a number of things that uh, we would look at and say, how on earth did you get through that? But uh, he was thrown in jail numerous times. Uh, best friend beheaded. Uh, had others that he saw stoned to death. But in that, he writes out of his experiences. And what we get in the book of First Peter are some of the declarations of what he's calling people to. It's interesting to me, he's not talking about spiritual experiences. We all crave experiences, but he's, he's saying, let's, let's put practical feet to this life of Christ. And, and so he's dealing with different issues. The issue of suffering comes up, he addresses it, but he's also recognizing that we want to live like Christ lived. We want to live as God wants us to live. We, if God is holy, we want to live holy. If God is love, then we want to be loving people. And so he walks through those things. I was listening to Char talk with one of our kids this last week and uh, in regard to holiness, and, and the topic had come up, and this conversation goes on, and, and she makes this comment. She says, if you're unwilling to define sin you certainly are not going to be able to define holiness. And in our day, there is this challenge going on because it's like, well, you know, let everybody just kind of choose their own thing. We wouldn't want to ruffle feathers. And, and yet, the truth is, if, if you believe in an absolute truth, you have to acknowledge that there are things that are appropriate and, and are inappropriate. And so in the Lord, you have opportunity of discerning at minimum for yourself what's right. And then at times to say, no, I think this is a general theme that applies to everyone. Now, I'd encourage you to take care of your own junk before you start trying to dish in others. But um, in that regard, we say God is holy. He, he lives perfectly. So our attempt is to live holy as well. Do we live up to that? No, but we keep shooting for that and looking to see him change and, and correct our lives where needed. And uh, one of the joys that I feel like, uh, even at this stage of life, is that there's a freshness about what I'm into because there's always this challenge before me of, I can do this better. I can change this part of my lifestyle. I, I can enhance the relationships that I have if I'll stop this and start this. You know, and that kind of thing, you know, early on it was like, well, why am I always struggling? Well, part of the joy of life is that there's a, a freshness to each day and, and something to discover and, and a new challenge in front of us. So I just put that before you. Okay. We're about to enter one of the passages that, to me, is, is one of the more complicated things that I wrestle with scripturally, and I'll give you an opinion, but I can't tell you this is exactly what it means. 
when I go look at commentaries, and I'm, I'm aware that there's at least a dozen different views as well. So um, guys have been struggling with this for quite a while. Christ died once for our sins. An innocent person died for those who are guilty. Christ did this to bring you to God. And when his body was put to death, his spirit was made alive. So he, the power of what we celebrate in Christ is this spirit made alive, even though physically he was put to death. Christ when preached, then preached to the spirits that were being kept in prison. They disobeyed God while Noah was building the boat, but God had been patient with them. Um, I'm not absolutely certain what this passage is about. Uh, it is not the same term used as generally is used with preaching, where preaching is associated with good news. This is more like a declaration or proclamation. And it may well have been that he's just declaring, you died, you don't have the power to rise again. Even though you lived hundreds of years, you don't have that power. He says, through a perfect life, I have that in God. I don't know. That's my guess. But he talks about, and the main point of his illustration was that even when the flood took place, and I believe in a literal worldwide flood, you can call me nuts if you want, but I tend to embrace everything the scripture has that way. And I've wrestled with the issues, I've read the reports, I've read the science, I just... You know, at some point when you have encounters with God and you know that His Spirit is working in your heart, it's almost like walking backwards and saying, okay, if this is the declaration that got me here, this is what I'm going to embrace as well. And so in a sense, my theology affects my science belief. And that's, that's where I'm at with it personally. Um, okay, eight were brought safely. He says, the floodwaters were like baptism that now saves you. Baptism is more than just washing your body. It means turning to God with a clear conscience because Jesus Christ was raised from death. So he's saying, your baptism represents what? This clear conscience that's become a part of you because of what you've embraced in Christ. So when we participate together and we go down to Lake Superior and we baptize someone, we're not just saying, okay, we're washing away all the junk. We're saying what this represents is the washing of life through Christ. What this represents is a death and resurrection. What this represents is an old life and now a new life. And so all of that imagery is packed together when we walk through that service with each other. And uh, it's not the, the, the imagery itself that saves us, but it's the knowledge of what it represents in our lives. We turn to God with a clear conscience. Christ is now in heaven where he sits at the right hand of God. All angels, authorities, and powers are under his control. So Peter's making this declaration and saying, he was crucified here on this earth, but where he is now is in complete authority over all things. Christ suffered here on earth. Now you must be ready to suffer as he did because suffering shows that you have stopped sinning. It means you have turned from your own desires and want to obey God for the rest of your life. Um, <laughs> I want to pull in an Old Testament verse. It says, a severe beating can knock all the evil out of you. Um, you know, you've heard the phrase, they got the hell kicked out of them. 
uh, or beat out of them. In some ways, we focus on the beating rather than saying there are times when the suffering or trouble that we go through changes the way that we approach things. You know, I think all of us remember as kids uh, riding the bike and thinking that you're all that until you crash, you know, and then you're going, there's a different way to do this. Or maybe it was a car for you, you know. <laughs> Most of us had a few things go on that first couple years of driving that we're just grateful that we got through. And after a while, you begin to say, you know what, maybe this is not the way to express my identity, you know. Uh, there's, there's smarter ways. But all of that said is, is that the suffering that comes into our lives, one of the influences or effects of that is that it can hone our life and move us toward good if we'll let it. That some of the difficulties of life are used for our benefit and, and, and value. This is not a full explanation for suffering, but this is one of the reasons that it takes place within our lives. It says, you've already lived long enough like people who don't know God. You were immoral and followed your evil desires. You were around drinking and partying and carrying on. In fact, you even worshiped disgusting idols. Now, your former friends wonder why you stopped running around with them, and they curse you for it. But they will have to answer to God who judges the living and the dead. Just a, a quick stop on that. Um, I don't encourage you to just cut off your friendships unless they influence you to a level that, that you fall every time you're around them. But the other side of it is, quite often, you're going to have friendships cut off from you simply because, in a sense, when you change your lifestyle or you change the direction of your life, you're saying, there's a better way of doing this. And the friends that you were tied to because of a, a particular behavior or whatever are going, but this is the best way. And you're going, no, it isn't. And whether you have this verbal discussion or not, it, it changes. And, and there are times when people just cut you off. And you don't go seeking that. You know, you leave the door open for friendship, but there are times when it's just appropriate because you're living different lifestyles, in different direction. It... it <laughs> Like I say, you don't have to go looking for it. it. It'll come to you. But it shouldn't be all that big a surprise when it does take place. The good news has even been preached to the dead so that after they've been judged for what they've done in this life, their spirits will live with God. This is the passage that probably causes me the most question. What I do when I hit a passage like this because this could, uh, this could present a, a case for universalism, right? Everybody gets to God in the end. The only thing is, Peter in other passages says no. And so what we have to come to is say, looking at this, I'm not real sure where this goes, but it, it may mean you know, that the dead that have been responsive to God now understand that Christ is Lord over all things. Every knee shall bow before Christ. I, I don't know. Absolutely. I wish I could tell you, this is it. Um, there are times when I bump into these passages, and I'd rather just tell you, you'll have to search it for yourselves. Now, that said, 
when I read the book of Mark, which is the gospel associated with Peter, you know, the tr history has it that Peter, in a sense, gave Mark the story. Mark was recording it down. But in, in Peter's gospel, in, or Mark's gospel in, in chapter 9, there is a distinct mention of hell when, when Jesus is teaching and he says, it'd be better for you to cut off your foot than to enter into hell with two feet. You know, it'd be better for you to enter into heaven with one foot rather than enter into hell with two. He says the same way with your hand or with your eye, it'd be better to pluck it out than to, than to just go through life with two eyes and, and, and then enter hell. So the idea of hell is established through Jesus' teaching, but also through this writing in Mark. Then if you also go to 2 Peter, Peter talks fairly extensively about the end of the age, saying that this earth will be wiped out by fire. And when they are to talk, excuse me, in that passage of Mark, it does talk about hell being an unquenchable fire. And that this, the end of this world is coming at a point where all of the, the earth will be on fire and burned up and a new heaven and a new earth and justice through Christ will reign forever and ever. So that's part of our belief. And that's what we cling to, in a sense, when the cry for justice is made. There are certain things that make sense as a Christian living the lifestyle even now where you're going, this, this is completely appropriate. When I'm honest with others, my relationship is much better. Been called to honesty as a Christian. Well, yeah, it, it works. You know, when I don't steal from others, I, I don't wrestle with, am I going to get busted? Or I don't wrestle with, are they going to find out? In fact, I'm able to live with a lot less stress and anxiety over my life. That makes sense. But there are facets of life where it says, you know, you're going to enter into eternity with a certain amount of sorrow where it says he's going to wipe away every tear from the eye. In other words, the sorrows of life are going to be erased as you participate in eternity. And there are measures of that that we acknowledge even now that says there is no true value in this today until it's put in the light of eternity. And that's our hope. And Peter is clinging to that and acknowledges that, you know, where he hit that turn point where he's saying, the guy that I followed for years is on the cross what am I going to do? And he runs. He says, better to abandon it now than to just keep after this. But then the turnaround is when he sees the resurrected Christ and he realizes this thing is much better than I, and bigger than I ever dreamed. So this is what he's clinging to in life and he's acknowledging there are some things that make sense just in our lifestyle even now, but there are some things that do not make sense until eternity. He's making this declaration for us. He says everything will come to an end, so be serious and be sensible enough to pray. Evaluate this. And if you embrace what's going to happen in eternity, then it's got to affect the way that you live now. The whole idea of prayer is develop that conversation and relationship with God now that you might enter into eternity with him. And say, yeah, we, we talk a lot of times. I know you. You know, one of the reasons this group prays in small groups, uh, we've got some guests, and I'll just put it out to you again. 
If you have trouble praying in a small group in a church, what's the odds that you're going to pray out in a community with those that you don't know? Pretty slim, I'd say. And there are times when you're going, I don't even know how to pray or what to pray. Being around those that do helps a great deal in just participating and learning through their model. And so what we do is we look at it and say, this is important enough to us that we're going to treat this as a lab and we're going to keep working at it and practicing it and participating and hoping that we get it right. The beauty of it is that oftentimes there are encounters with God during that time that we think, how on earth did this take place? Except that God has intervened again. And an awesome thing it is. Most important of all, he says, you must sincerely love each other because love wipes away many sins. The love of God that sent his son, the love of the son that was willing to give up his life for us, has brought cleansing to us and we're grateful. He goes on and says, welcome people into your home and don't grumble about it. In that day, hospitality was much more important for travelers. And so they would be brought into the home. But it's still an important principle for today. You know, it's like if, if you want to, to know that you're not just being selfish, I encourage you to invest in others. The benefit of inviting others into your home is that you build relationship. You might be going, well, I don't have a home. and I... Share what you have. I was thinking about this this week. You know, one of the things that I encourage people to do is if you're trying to evaluate, well, how much of my life should be involved in this, why don't you just choose, choose to, to say four hours a week, I'm going to take one block a week, and I'm going to invest it in someone else with no strings attached. Why not start with that? Just say, you know, I'm going to pick someone out, someone that I could help or assist or benefit, and just... Here's a block, a window of time, and I'm going to take this each week. Start with that. See where it goes. You know, I hear people going, well, I want to have a ministry to college students. Well, invite a college student into your home or take them out for coffee. You know, in other words, it's this thing of invest. I want to have a ministry to young couples. Invest. I want to have a minister to youth. Invest. Quit grumbling. Do. Each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts. Each one of you, he says. There is no one who doesn't have something that they can get, not give to others. Okay. Let it be used as service to others. So use your gift well. If you have the gift of speaking, preach God's message, the gift of helping others, do it with the strength God supplies. I'm going to stop with this thing of speaking for just a minute because I've been speaking for almost 40 years now. Um, so I have a few observations. I first thought that I might have something involved with my life in regard to speaking in about eighth grade. It was a speech class, and people responded to what I said, and, and suddenly it was like, maybe this is part of my life. 
That was the first inkling. But there's a lot of things that, that take place. I've, I've noticed in the church oftentimes a sincere believer thinks that, well, if I'm going to serve God wholeheartedly, maybe I should be a speaker. It's not true. What he's declared earlier is that everybody has gifts. There are some speakers within this group. God wants those gifts honed. But there are others in sincerity, no matter how uh, gifted you may be or talented, God is calling you into something different. And it's, it's appropriate to embrace that. You find what God has called you to. And even if you are called to speaking, it looks different for every person. I remember... You'll get a chuckle out of this. One of my friends hoaxed me one day early on when he called and said, hey, the Billy Graham Association called and, and uh, wanted to get in contact with you. And I thought he was serious. You talk about an ego, you know. I could be the next Billy Graham. Bad chance. Uh, <laughs> But what, what goes on in that? I mean, because it is a public thing, oftentimes ego ties itself in. And you have to discern, what's God have for me? Where does he want me? Now, I did have the chance of working with a, a man that was one of the top speakers in our country. At, the, at that time, he, he spoke to groups of thousands all across the country, and his advice was, find one thing that the Lord has called you to and hone in on that and do it well. Every time I prayed, I didn't get specifics. It took me years to realize that I was more a jack of all trades. And so when I went into a small church, and I did carpentry for a while, and I would work with, with uh, the youth for a while, and I'd lead worship for a while, even learn guitar. You know, all of that was... God was using my gifts for that time in the way that he had called me to. It had, you know, very little Billy Graham association. And so I just encourage you, if, if you're feeling that in your heart or there's that inkling this might be, it's going to have to be developed through the Lord, but it also has, is going to use the person that you are, not just, uh, you know, what the, your picture would be success. One of the things that I learned is that basically I'm a 20-minute speaker, right? The truth is, if, if I go 40, you're going to be bored to tears. I just can't hold it together that long. So it's better to live within what I have, okay? Better for you, better for me, okay? But there are guys that can go 40, an hour, hour and a half, and we, and we cling to what they say. I would go listen to Jimmy Evans preach anytime I got a chance. The guy is awesome. I've never heard him fail. And there are speakers that are kind of that top 1% that you're just going, they got it. You know, and there's a lot of variation between that 95 and, and that top 1, quite honestly. And, and they're gifts of God, but... Learning to find your niche and your place is, is critical to this whole thing. Um, ability, 
is one of those things that has to be honed anyway. A few weeks ago, I went home and I said, Char, what'd you think? You rushed. No, serious. Yeah, yeah, you rushed it again. You get nervous and you rush. Okay. I asked for honesty. I got it. <laughs> Why do I get done in 20 minutes? Because I'm in a hurry. No. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, you keep honing of what you got. And uh, hopefully you keep learning. <laughs> Try to do it better. I'm trying to go slower today. <laughs> the final thing I'd, I'd like to note is that it's not everybody else's responsibility to give you opportunity. God is going to open the doors if he's given you the call. And so, you know, others respond and they, they, they help. But ultimately, you're going to have to take your complaints to God if you don't feel like you're being elevated quick enough or you're given enough opportunity. He will provide a way if he is giving you the door to do this. Okay. Uh, going on. Dear friends, verse 12, don't be surprised or shocked that you are going through testing that is like walking through fire. So he, he likens this life and says it's almost like being in flames at times. Don't be surprised at such things. Be glad for the chance to suffer as Christ suffered. It will prepare you for even greater happiness when he makes his glorious return. So he says, at minimum, some of the struggle of this life has to do with the preparation for what's going to be. Count it a blessing when you suffer as being a Christian that shows that God's glorious spirit is with you. But if you deserve to suffer... You're a murderer, a thief, a crook, or a busybody. You have it coming. <laughs> okay? You know, it's like a lot of times we want to excuse our behavior or our lack of discipline and somehow then put it on suffering for the Lord. It's... It's like we have a whole society that's walking in obesity... And then we wonder why we get diabetes. Um, you can be a Christian and get diabetes. You don't necessarily have to be obese. But there are oftentimes health factors that you should be aware of. And you don't get to just bypass it because you're a Christian. In the same way, you know, you, you lose your job because you didn't get there on time. That's not suffering for the Lord. You're being an idiot. You know, it's, it's, there are times when, when we want to excuse all of that. My cars break down because I don't treat them very nice. Is that, is that the Lord? Well, he's probably instructing me to say, you need to grow up at some point. And it is good to put oil in that thing. You know, it just... But we, we want to just, you know, put a blanket thing on this and, and, you know, just say, oh, suffering for God. No. Thankfully, God embraces fools, too. 
and, and we have this opportunity in him. But don't be ashamed to suffer be, for being a Christian. Praise God that you belong to him. God has already begun judging his own people. And if his judgment begins with us, imagine how terrible it would be for those who refuse to obey his message. The scripture says, if good people barely escape, what will happen to sinners and to others who don't respect God? If you suffer for obeying God, you must have complete faith that your faithful creator, in your faithful creator, and keep on doing right. So he says, that if you are walking through struggle that can't be defined for any other reason than you're a Christian, he says, you've got to keep this faith in your creator. And just keep doing what you're doing. So, you know, again, our prayer is that none of us would ever have to walk through this. But Peter, who had walked through it, is saying, there's a path here that, that's available for us, even as Christians. You know, the early New Testament church grew to many thousands, and then there was a persecution that pushed it out into the rest of the world. Peter walked through that. It's probably in this that he's writing, and he's just saying, you know what, even in this, God's good will be accomplished. It was pretty amazing. They, they call it the dispersion, but what took place was Christianity spread into the rest of the world because of this forced evacuation of Jerusalem. And so even in it, God was working his good through something that seemed so miserable and awful in the present. Who knows what God has in store for us? But the joy that we have is the same God that was faithful in that day is the same creator that's faithful today. And we can trust that implicitly. Would you stand with me? We thank you for the great hope that we have in you. We thank you that you conquered death. We thank you that we have that same hope for our own lives. As we walk forward in life, Lord, we pray that you'll help us to discern what complications of life are there because we're just being foolish and what complications are there truly just because we serve you. Help us to discern between those two. And then give us the wisdom how to appropriately act next. Thank you for your great love that reaches into our lives. Amen. If you're wrestling with why this struggle? Um, there's answers in the Lord. I'd like to pray with you and just uh, encourage you, though, that if you go to him and ask for wisdom, he'll provide it. And so what requires next, though, is that there be enough courage to listen when we hear it and to be willing to make changes when we see that that's essential for our lives. He wants to bring good into your heart and into your life. He wants to bring well-being to who you are. You have to respond to him to let that happen. That's just the way it is. Let me pray God's blessing upon you. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy your involvement in every facet of life. I pray as they go out into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others, 
I pray that their deeds would be loving and fitting with the workings of your kingdom. I pray that you'll enable them with a supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. God bless you.